Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I'm your guest, Chris Church. And we're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 127. So Church is our uh, chief product officer of Macrofab. And uh, I have one question for you, Church. Mm-hmm. Why have you not been on the podcast sooner? Why'd you wait 127 episodes? <laughs> well, I thought that was the rule, right? If we were going to do a podcast, I couldn't be on here pitching the business. <laughs> and, and you know me, I'm always selling. So it was kind of impossible, you know, condition to be in. So, yeah. <laughs> He's just waiting for the podcast number to be uh, represented by seven bits, right? That's the uh, minimum requirement there. Uh, oh, you're right. I like yeah. that. I like that. So, uh, Church had an article that came out on Monday this week. What, what's the title of that article? I think it was uh, Decoding Tariff Impacts on U.S. Electronics Manufacturing. Yeah, so those tariffs go in act. Uh, I'm pretty sure most people who are not living on the rock know about these new tariffs from, uh, that will be going into place from China. Um, and that I think it's July 6th. Yeah, that's Friday. right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess we should just jump right into it because we have a lot to talk about. Um, so I guess let's cover like what's the what are these terror like what's on this list that impacts us, our company, Macrofab, and I guess as a U.S. electronics manufacturing scope, right. Yeah, so there, you know, the, the tariff list. There really there are two lists. There's the list that's going in effect on Friday, uh, which is going to cover most of the stuff out there. Although typically we'll have the least cost impact on us. Um, now it's the second list that they're still reviewing and getting public comment on that really is going to start driving up the price for assemblies here in the U.S. So that that first list, what it covers, you know. I talk about this in the article. We, we tend to look at it from a, an electronics perspective, but really the bulk of what's in that list are capital goods. These are things that businesses are buying regularly to expand their operations, build new buildings, uh, you know, long-term investments. Um, we see a lot of that in there, and that really seems to be the focus first is to impact business costs, you know, impact how they're thinking about their investments over the next uh, several months to years um, and about who they're going to buy that from. But when we look at the things that impact us in that first list, they're really they're passives. Those are your uh, resistors and capacitors, your actives. Um, those are things like transistors, LEDs, et cetera. But excluding the ICs and diodes, and I don't know why diodes are specifically called out there, right? Light emitting diodes are, are, are under tariffs, but regular diodes aren't. I'm assuming there is some manufacturer here in the U.S. Uh, that, you know, had a comment about how that was going to greatly impact their business and were able to get exception carved out. Um, but then other things like mechanical components, your switches, your connectors, etc. Those are the really the primary things that are going to impact assemblies here. Um, <clears throat> You know, we've talked as well about the uh, assembled PCBs, things that are not a final good, but a interim uh, component of a good. So say, like, if you had your PCBs built in China and then you were assembling them into enclosures here in the U.S., uh, those are impacted as well. And you, you were talking about um, LEDs. Mm-hmm. So why why are LEDs not really a 
huge impacts. Yeah, so LEDs are a really interesting thing. Um, traditionally, China has not made a lot of LEDs. They, they were not a big player. Uh, if we look back to like 2010, I think they were 10% of the market then. Um, not, not a big player, really. And since then, since uh, 2010, over the past eight years, they've grown to about 65% of the world's production of LEDs, which you would think would you know, greatly impact us. However, 95% of what they produce, nearly all of it, is used internally within China and manufactured into products like solid-state lighting, uh, flashlights, consumer goods, et cetera, which are then exported. Those LEDs are going on consumer goods or onto PCB assemblies. Right, right. Then. Yeah. Okay. They're not, they're not, most of those are not being exported. Um, much of the... So where do, where do we get most of our LEDs then from? Uh, is it like Taiwan? Yeah, Taiwan is the powerhouse, right? They have traditionally been where most of that LED technology is not even, not just built, but where the innovation tends to happen there, um, you know, in making the dyes and everything. That, that Taiwan is one of the biggest... Uh, Korea, Malaysia are still pretty, pretty large. And surprisingly, you know, if you're buying Cree LEDs, you may be getting them from Japan or the U.S. Uh, it just kind of depends on how much you're spending on those LEDs and how, how high the quality is. And how fancy of one you get. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think what's also on this list is like machinery, right? Yeah. That use in electronic manufacturing? Yeah, there, there is. Mm -hmm. I can only think of one manufacturer though of machines a Medell mm -hmm. that builds picking places over in china um i haven't seen any chinese picking places yeah actually i think uh panasonic uh does now uh, okay you know but most of your high-end stuff is still going to be european um european Japan, japanese taiwan um I mean, overall, let's be honest, uh, you know, companies aren't buying pick-and-place machines every day, right? This is something they're thinking about for a long time. It is, again, it's a capital good, you know, they're... they're what's that term? What, the What's the term for buying? What uh, They say it on NPR <laughs> all the time um, when they talk about companies buying machines and stuff as an indicator of the economy i can't remember what that was called. Uh, oh what they call that they call that um uh, oh um what's the word i'm looking for it's not just it's the opposite of disposable it's uh yeah you're yeah. right you're right it's not disposable it's the it's not non-disposable <laughs> right, right. it's something good it's, uh, um, oh god i'm i'm losing my mind and, and i don't call it i like how goods. i like how durable. npr was like where you durable yeah, goods durable, is durable goods. goods that's what yeah. it is and that that machines and stuff fall under that yeah I'll, it's actually good because it's a, it's a signal of long-term uh faith in the, the economy right yeah. that companies are willing to invest in equipment that you know may take them you know eight ten plus years to recoup that investment on you know, it shows confidence. Um, you know, for us, it's not an impact. I'll, I'll be honest. Our, you know, all of the really expensive equipment on our floor either comes from the U.S. or Sweden, or you know, it's it's not something we're buying from China. Um, you know, I, there are a lot of manufacturers of this kind of equipment in China. Um, I don't know that most of the U.S. companies out there are buying that. At least none of the big ones, really. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, because the only one I know of is is Medell, and they basically make really low volume, low run style stuff. I mean, th their um, stuff is it, nice. Yeah. Our first pick, our first picking place. Yeah, was it was. It was. Uh, <laughs> it was a very tiny one. I yeah. think. Did we have that delivered to my house? 
Um, no, we had, no, this, we had the, no, facility, it, the first facility then, didn't we? We had the, like, 1,000 square foot. Yeah, yeah. How, how heavy was that thing? Uh, I could pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> we, we should tell you about. Okay, this. it's like it's like a it's like a tabletop picking place. Yeah, it tells you about. That. Yeah, there's actually some there's some videos on YouTube that I took of it too. Um, I have to put that in the podcast description. It can do a whopping 300 placements an hour. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say the uh, you can usually <laughs> decipher the speed of the machine from its weight. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. that's actually a yeah, good yeah. point. Yeah, the faster um, it moves, the more it has to damp all those vibrations and you know stop mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's like. Like the the pace jet machine we have is like cut out, like the front the chassis is actually cut out of stone, <laughs> and that thing still wants to walk sometimes. It seems like it, right? It's like it's vibrating the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. that thing gets moving pretty fast. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll just move on to um, like what what's going to be the short term impacts on the market for this uh, for these tariffs? Yeah. So you know the key thing you know we're going to look at here is you know, these tariffs come into effect Friday. Right and well, you said there's two mm-hmm. lists. Is is the first list only this Friday, and then the second list is still up to yeah, debate? Yeah, the second right? list is up to debate, and that includes the the ICs and the diodes. The ICs are where I'm really concerned about pricing. Um, you know, what we what, well, China doesn't really make a ton of semiconductor. Not a lot, not a lot. So the, the key thing we look at, like the fabs out there, uh, you know, TSMC has been expanding in China pretty heavily, um, but most of those fabs are still coming online. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most of our high dollar ICs are still coming from Taiwan, Malaysia, U.S. There's actually, I mean, here in Texas, there's plenty of IC production, um, especially in Austin, mm-hmm. and so. Most of the high dollar stuff isn't coming from there yet, but there are a lot of like mid price stuff that's already starting to be produced at uh, these fabs like a TSMC, and there are some vendors coming in that are, you know, producing a lot more a lot more ICs out there. So over time, we'll see that as as being a pretty negative thing for us. Uh, we simply can't mm-hmm. produce much. If you think about like the, uh, the the mid volume on ICs, the mid priced ICs. Those aren't going to be made here in the U.S. for the most part. Your, your stuff that's going to cost, you know, from 15 to 45 cents a unit, that stuff's trying to move to China right now, right? You know, we're, yeah. we're trying to make yeah. xilinx here, right? Interesting uh, side point. I was reading a thing from um, uh, the ERA, which is the uh, Electronic Representa- uh, Representatives Association, um, and they were saying the most... Uh, counterfeit uh, brand out there is Xilinx. That seems like something that's pretty difficult to counterfeit. Well, it's not yeah. a good product, right? They're not they're not offering you a f- uh, form fit function replacement. They're just marking something as Xilinx and selling you garbage, right? Um, well, yeah, sure, yeah. but but even to fake it seems kind of yeah. hard. Oh, yeah. um, Stephen, did you see that uh, PDF I was floating around on Slack of the uh, counterfeit parts? No, I didn't. What was there like a list of them or something? No, um, you have to take a look at it. I'll post it in the uh, podcast description too. But it's like you, when you look at that, you'll be like, "Oh, that's how they counterfeited these silence parts." Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll have to I, take a look that, at that. That, that sounds kind of great. Insane. I think uh, I saw Chris Gamble had posted that somewhere too, right? Where they're like literally washing parts in the river. <laughs> so he posted it after he saw it on our Slack channel. I guarantee. Ah, you. So now, now I know where all, where all of their, uh, their 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 link sources are coming from. <laughs> Not all of them. I, I, this is the thing: is it's 
Chris and I have talked about this a lot, and we like yeah. Chris Gamble, not Church. Um, we uh, we will um, steal each other's sources all the time. Like I'll go to like the the Amp Hour subreddit on Reddit and like steal links <laughs> off the top and use them, and then he does the same thing. Nice, to us, nice. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Only so earlier today. Uh, <laughs> Earlier today, I was actually uh, I got the chance to actually have a chat with a, a lawyer at a a very large semiconductor uh, a, a company that you guys would both be well aware of. But we were we were discussing things of this uh, uh, basically their where they get everything manufactured, and it's interesting because they actually do sixty five percent of their manufacturing overseas, and that's spread across everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, only a portion of that actually happens in China. Thirty five percent of it is actually here on U.S. soil. Right. Uh, the thing is, it's exactly what you were saying, um, Chris. Where that thirty five percent is either their experimental stuff, their really low volume stuff, or their really like crazy expensive right. stuff. And and that's been yeah. you know, I think China's contention is their their frustration. If you look at like that made in China twenty twenty five thing, um, which is in itself generating a lot of this friction between the U.S. and uh, China, their 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 frustration is that they've been the assembler for the world. But they're taking all this high-value IP and high-value products from other people and selling low-value labor on top of that. And their plan has been really to move development of that IP into China so they can start generating that high-value part of the proposition there. And I think that's, you know, obviously that's part of the thing that's driving uh, these recent activities. Um, Because traditionally, if you look at, you know, especially with the semiconductors, the ICs, what has been done is the fab will be done in somewhere like the U.S. or Japan or China or Korea, and then they have the packaging and the testing, the real low-value part of that, done in China, Malaysia, etc. Um, and I, I could imagine from a, an economy, right, that would be kind of frustrating that you're just seen as a, a, a low-cost labor source. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, uh, I we got a little sidetracked, <laughs> yeah. but... Um... but, but from a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was really good. Sorry, I'm jumping on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, so yeah, what what what's going to be the short? Actually, it was my fault. Actually, I think I was the one who derailed this. Um, <laughs> well, so, re-rail yeah, us. Oh yeah, short-term impacts yeah, on the market. So, Let's go. So overall, pricing. You know, this isn't gasoline, right? Distributors don't price the materials based on the cost to replace it. They price it based on what they paid, right? They they have target margins, and they don't want to raise prices if they don't have to. Uh, that's the key thing because every time they raise prices, they're they're now in a less competitive situation to their peers. So what we're gonna see is. Uh, and I'm actually going to contradict myself here in a second, but, um, but <laughs> generally what we would see in this kind of market is prices are not going to rise immediately. What's going to happen is they're going to deplete uh, stock in, that's currently in the U.S. warehouses, and as they have to replace that, as they have to um, import new stock to replace it, that's when the prices will start to increase. So on items which are you know well-stocked in the U.S. already, they're going to have the longest time to start seeing price increases. Uh, but here is my here is my contradiction here, right? If you're uh, if, if it's an 0603.1 microfarad cap, that will be increased right. immediately. Well, it's actually time. already gone up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can find yeah, it. If you can find yeah. it, I don't really want to go into that. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I literally brought in a, uh, a sales rep from a, a big distributor today to talk about that specific subject. Like, when are you going to find that part for us? <laughs> so, um, but really, what we're also going to see is, you know, we got buyers out there, right? And if you look at the buyer for, you know, a fairly large company, they're measured in their ability to beat target prices. So if the target prices on those products are going up in a couple of weeks, uh, they're going to start buying now. Right. To show their bosses, hey, look, you know, I was able to save us 25 percent on this this part of my bomb. So there are going to be some items you're going to see. Basically, we're, we're already seeing rushes on them. Uh, that stock is going down on certain items. Uh, they're typically used in higher volume production here in the U.S. Uh, so we'll see those already kind of kind of starting to deplete on those shelves and the price is going up. Yeah, so that's the, com- the current passive component shortage. Oh, basically. yeah. Just oh, get worse. <laughs> In the short term, at least. Well, and, and you know what? I, I don't think we actually mentioned, or maybe I didn't catch it, but that 25% is the result of the tariff. The tariff is a 25% basically tax on yeah, these yeah. electronic but components. It, you know, one thing... I get a little frustrated, I'll be honest, when I when I read articles and they say, well, price of electronics is going to go up 25%. Well, what electronic device is going to go up by 25%? That's like saying, you know, it's it's bigger than a loaf of, you know, a loaf of bread or something, right? There's no reference point for the thing itself that that kind of uh, captures what's driving the cost of that. And that's one thing I tried to cover. <laughs> the iPhone 11 is going to be 1250 <laughs> now, right? Maybe, you know, uh, but when we look at those assemblies, right, every product has a different mix in its bill of materials. Um, and most of the stuff that's being impacted, unless you have a very specialized device with like some, you know, expensive FETs or something like that in there, so a lot of connectors, you're really going to see what I'm looking at right now. When I look across our customers in particular, a lot of them are seeing two to 10% increases in, uh, price based on projecting the tariff impacts on them um so there's mm-hmm. you know it's not and that and, and that's derived from basically just looking at how their mm-hmm. bill of materials are and what, laid what out. drives the primary cost in the bill of materials right if you if you look at a high-tech device you know depending on what its purpose is most of the value may be in the ic's correct yeah um and since, as we've already discussed, most of the high-value ICs are not shipped in from China, um, they're not going to see a huge impact there. Uh, where I do have some concern are those those connector-heavy uh, devices, uh, especially you know we see them in, in more industrial products. You know, a lot of connectors uh, is going to equate a, a higher price. That's where we see the higher end of the increases there, and connectors aren't cheap to begin with. So exactly, I was about to say connectors are usually. Uh, the if you have a project, the right. most expensive part Especially of the project. Especially the S and T connectors. <laughs> so. Well, and and the thing is, this this tariff. This is not sort of like a, a big omen or anything like that. But the the topics or the the specific components that it covers are kind of guaranteed to be on every board. So right. every board will see an increase. Right. It's just how much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you've got a handful of you know jelly bean passives on there, um, a couple you know good ICs, uh, a few connectors, you're going to see maybe three percent in your total cost of goods. So, right, it's not going to be a huge impact for a lot of people. 
but for some products, it's going to be painful. Um, you know, I'm be honest. There are, I, I know of a few products in our customers mix um, that will see a 25% increase, and there's just not mm-hmm. much we can do about that today. Um, well, it, it also applies to PCBAs from China. If the if it's actually assembled in China, then that receives the entire 25% tariff, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, I think I gave an example in the um, the blog post of like, a, you know, the was it the ESP uh, room device, the ESP32? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you can assemble that in the U.S. for less than 25% you know, premium over what you buy it today, uh, you would do better to, to assemble it in the U.S. Um, you know... If you if it's cheaper to design it on your board, but then you also have to add your FCC testing for uh, 2.4 gigahertz, which I actually don't know what the price on that is. Yeah, there there is that, but to be honest, you're mixing two different things there, right? You've got sunk cost uh, versus cost of goods. Yeah, you would you would amortize that sunk cr- sunk cost across the life of that product, right? And if you've got five years and you're going to produce, you know, fifty thousand in that five years. The fifteen thousand dollars for that testing doesn't really impact the whole lot. Yep. In the in the final price, I'm thinking like a thousand units. Oh well, well at that point, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a thousand <laughs> units. Every bit of cost really adds up. Uh, yep. Let's yeah, not yeah. even get on what they paid for to write all that firmware, right? <laughs> oh, that's true too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then we're not going to, yeah, I don't want to get too deep into, you know, misunderstanding the the, the way we calculate costs in product development. Because <laughs> that's, you know, I don't I don't worry about things like testing costs. Sure, they're, they're real money you have to pay, but so are developers, so are engineers. You yep. know, I, I've never, you know, I've heard people complain about the cost to pay a third party for like a DFM test, you know, DFM review. But they don't complain about the fact that they're they're spending two hundred thousand dollars a year for a software developer in Silicon Valley, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're both the same class of cost, right? So, yep. All right, cool. This, uh, mm-hmm. you know, instead of going into the long term impacts, let's uh, skip over to right now the the current component shortage because that's short term. Yeah. I know we already talked about it a little bit, mm-hmm. but let's uh, expand that a little bit. Yeah. So I guess for those that aren't familiar, right, if they haven't already heard, uh, we are in a passive shortage. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what's funny is, what, two years ago we were in a IC shortage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and I mean, this is, this is a weird thing. This is, this is uh, you know, a great example of mis- I guess misplaced behavior in the market creating huge issues. You know, I mean, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm as guilty as anyone else about arguing over the price of passives over the past ten years. Um, you know, I, I can think of many times I started, you know, demanding that you give me those resistors for cheaper. Um, unfortunately, now <laughs> we're all paying the price for that because you know the uh, the price got so low on passives that nobody bothered to add any capacity. Um, cause what's the point? You're not going to make any money from it. So. Yep. Well, that was the same thing that happened with, with IC manufacturers two years ago is the margins got so slim. No one was adding capacity. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And then TI just gobbled everything up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but now, you know, I mean, there's some co- competition out there, right? Uh, I think literally, you know, we were looking at, I was looking at a part, you know, we're talking, we're not buying a little bit of this part. I think I was buying a couple hundred thousand of these. Um, and it went from, you know, a year, year and a half ago, that part was half a cent a piece. And now we're getting quotes at 10 cent a piece on those. 
Um, wow. It's just insane. That's a, that's a 20x increase in a year and a half. Um, right. But, you know, the big one I found is, well, I guess it's not big. <laughs> it's just interesting is, uh, I think we talked about this on a previous podcast, but like manufacturers are discontinuing part numbers and bringing in new lines, basically, kind of like to refresh their libraries. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or, uh, catalogs is the right word for it. Um, 50 ohm resistors are gone now. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't need a 50, an o, right? An o, a, a 0603 50 ohm is just doesn't exist anymore. Well, well, no one but you <laughs> ever used those, Parker. <laughs> no, we had actually ever had a lot of customers. Um, that's actually one of the things is like I'm like, huh. We're going to have to deprecate that house part because <laughs> we can't. That part just doesn't exist anymore. I think I think we we might have a year or two more of guaranteed availability on that line. Um, I'll have to check. We have a lot of reels of it. Yeah, I think. yeah. But um, but buying new is going to be tough. I can't I can't yeah. promise how much they'll cost us, but I, I know we have guaranteed availability on that. So. Yeah, <laughs> they, they never never said anything about guaranteed price though. So. <laughs> Um, but yeah what you know this is a a huge problem i gotta say you know i'm looking at uh tier one and tier two manufacturers uh for those who don't know the tiering what's a tier one (laughs) tier two tier three so so a tier one are your big your big namesake manufacturers they're they're anyone who's making a billion dollars and up in contract electronics manufacturing so that'd be Flextronics, yeah, Flex, Foxconn, New Kimpo, J Bill, um, Sanmina, etc. Which, an interesting fact, uh, Foxconn. If, if you look at like the entire contract electronics manufacturing market, it's about four hundred and sixty billion dollars a year. Foxconn's revenues are two hundred and thirty billion dollars a year. They're almost two hundred and thirty. They're almost half the entire market now. <laughs> that's crazy no wonder they sell their own uh computer components so. right right i mean there's there is no manufacturing company in the history of man that has ever been that large that's that's crazy right. yeah making five percent margins <laughs> <laughs> uh, mac fab would be number two yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> next, next week, right? Next week. Yeah. Next week, yeah. Get, get um, right on that. Next week and four more years. Yeah, but you know, when we look at this this <laughs> this this short supply issue, you know, I hate to drive us back to the subject. Um, I never answered who the tier twos were, right? They're they're uh, yeah, you know, a hundred million and up, and then tier three is everybody else. Um, so. Oh, I don't even know why we were talking about tier manufacturers. I completely lost my train of thought. Um, but you know, thinking oh, buying parts. I think yeah. Um, so we're talking about passive shortage, yeah. so I'll just talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, what What's really happened is you know if you look at a car right now, you you've got what I think fifty printed circuit boards on average in the new car. I think am I correct on that, Parker? I think so, okay. and that's what's wrong with modern cars. But, okay. <laughs> well, they can't all have carburetors, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I miss nothing more than having to adjust my carburetor when the temperature changed. Oh, man, I'm actually ripping the carburetor off my new wagon soon <laughs> for a rebuild. I'm actually, I'll put it this way, I'm a fan of fuel injection. I love fuel injection. Yeah. By, by the so. way, how's the air conditioning in that thing? Um... In the morning, it's really nice. In the afternoon, it makes it so you don't sweat. Okay. So it's, it's not Mar- bad. Marginally functional, though, right? Marginally okay. functional. It's actually 
for the fact that it's all original equipment in it, I'm pretty happy with it. It's it's a tier three uh, AC, right? That's... <laughs> tier three AC, yeah. <laughs> Where it's the exact opposite in my in the in the prop in my Jeep, uh, the the Wrangler. It, it's like a freaking ice box in that yeah. thing. Yeah. So, all right, back on. Yeah. Back, let's get back. To that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, fifty PCBs in not, a car. I'll, I'll just keep talking about Jeeps. Yeah, so we, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. You know, when it comes to passes, it, it's a nightmare out there right now. There's, there's no way to sugarcoat it, right? The, you know, we are literally in some cases for our high volume customers having to go out there and negotiate with other manufacturers, <laughs> you know, literally trading capacity, trading parts. Um, this is not going to get any better. I mean, the key thing you have to think about a passive, right? It's not a discretionary item. You know, you need them to build your product, right? If you don't build your product, you're not selling it, you're not making any money. So, you know, a lot of the the traditional market forces we see, the price goes up, the consumption goes down. That's not actually the case Mm -hmm. here. It's actually, you know, even worse um, because now we're seeing people, we already saw people in the market overbuying. So if you were, you know, a purchasing manager at a, you know, a, say a tier one or tier two manufacturer, and you knew um, that if you can't get these resistors uh, next year, you're not going to be able to make any money because you can't build this product, um, you would take the opportunity now to buy everything you can get. And so that's what we're seeing a lot of recently is overbuying uh, by consumers in the chain. They normally would buy, you know, one to three months worth, and now they're buying 12 to 24 months worth, which is making the market shortage even worse. And now we add to that a um, uh, a big price hike, a 25% price hike for U.S. consumers. And what we've noticed is uh, for whatever remains here in high volumes, it's flying off the shelf. Uh, The prices are going up on it. And uh, people are taking full advantage of uh, of these tariffs to go ahead and charge a lot more. Hmm. I'm, I'm wondering how much this is going to drive gray market passives, you know, a whole bunch of like eBay reels and things like that. <laughs> you, you know, uh, <laughs> things that got washed in the river and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> put on there. Um, you know, what's funny is I have a friend that... Um, uh, built some boards oh he hand stuffed them about three years ago but he ordered all his parts from like aliexpress <laughs> gray market stuff and he Yikes. got a, his reels of 042 um point one microfarads work short oh man <laughs> like it, they, it it's not like they just didn't work or anything they were just straight up but short you have to ask how much cheaper is that to produce <laughs> I, the fact that you have to repackage it just amazes yeah. me. And someone spent the time to repackage O four yeah, parts, yeah. and thought that was a good use of their time. Man, they... somebody made money on it, right? <laughs> I, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the long term impacts. Yeah. So so this is stuff that no one ever <laughs> thinks about because we're all short term. Wait, wait, long term. That's next <laughs> week, right? That's our short term. No, yeah. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> So you're, 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 this is like, let's say, wow, you're year. asking me to think let's about a year, year from now. Holy cow. Um, I forgot the last time somebody <laughs> asked me that. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell us what parts we should buy in bulk right now. Uh, nothing if you can avoid it. <laughs> um, okay. So, you know, my, my, my key thing is, is like if everything's an if, you know, if these tariffs stay in place, if, um, 
if these things, uh, you know, if new tariffs don't come in, if consumer, you know, in, in goods tariffs don't, don't take their place, you know, then we're going to start seeing some, some real stuff happening here. And I don't think it's what we were expecting, right? So let, let's imagine a world where a year from now, these are the only tariffs that have been put in place and they remain in place. Um, okay. At that point in time, a year from now, assembly is going to have shifted away from the U.S. to places like Mexico. I mean, okay, so Mexico's ratifying a new free trade deal with China right now. We have NAFTA. Uh, which is setting those mm-hmm. in goods tariffs for many cases at zero, right? So we can import products to Mexico at a very low tariff rate or even none, the components. We can assemble them in Mexico at a lower cost than we can do that here in the U.S., and then we can import them to the U.S. with zero tariffs. That's kind of obvious that our business is, you know, everyone's business will move that way. Right, because you know, why would you pay twenty five percent more on the materials just to manufacture it here? Um, so th- there's a there's a, a lot of that's going to happen. But overall, I, I think any uncertainty on tariffs is going to drive people to look for more localized manufacturing. That doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, all EU customers are going to manufacture in EU or all U.S. customers are going to manufacture in the U.S., but they're going to look for, excuse me, nearer places with better uh, tariff profiles. So I'll give an example with U.S., it's Mexico, right? We've got a great deal with Mexico, and I think it's overall it's good for both countries. Uh, If you look at the EU, we've got... You've got Eastern Europe, um, and you've got places in North Africa, like Tunisia, which are part of the uh, European Economic Zone. So you're not looking at any tariffs to move product from Tunisia um, into Europe, right? At that point, you pay your duties or your taxes, your VAT, at sale time. So we're going to start seeing more manufacturing shifting locally. Um <clears throat> When I say, and again, locally is regional, right? Versus, you know, everything's going to be made in China or everything's going to be made in Mexico. <clears throat> We've already seen this going on in Mexico, by the way. Um, you know, I was down there a couple years ago. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize a lot of our televisions we buy now are made in Mexico. Uh, one of the biggest products coming out of Tijuana, for example, today is a television. Um, and originally, you know, a lot of that was driven, um, the, the move there was partly a deal with uh, the Mexican government and the Chinese government to kind of create this investment zone in uh, Baja. But another key part of it was the, the transport fees, right? It turns out Mexican labor is, for electronics is cheaper than key labor centers in China. So they took advantage of lower shipping costs uh, by shipping the components rather than the assembled in box TVs over to Mexico, having them assembled by cheaper labor, and then importing them via NAFTA to the U.S. with no tariffs. Um, What had happened about two years ago, the cost started shifting in such a way that a lot of these Chinese companies were making plans to move that production back to China. Um, And in fact... I knew of at least I know of at least three factories that were looking at losing their business entirely in that move. Well, in the past, uh, you know, eight to twelve months, we've seen that completely reverse. And not only have they not moved that production away from uh, Tijuana, 
they've actually increased that production. Uh, everyone I talk to down there is far, far busier than they've been in years. So we're going to see a lot more of that. Those products <clears throat> that they're worried they're going to have these, you know, these high, uh, high tariffs uh, coming from China, they're just going to sell the materials or import the, the components and the materials into Mexico, build them there, and then ship them in here. Uh, they're already doing it. They're going to continue doing that. Gotcha. And you mm-hmm. touched a little bit on NAFTA. Um, so what's what's NAFTA going to have to do? You know, with I, I don't I don't see it really going anywhere. Um, let's be honest. Like here in Texas alone, NAFTA drives like eight billion dollars in jobs. Uh, that's a pretty huge political cloud. <laughs> you, know? uh, you don't you don't tear up an agreement like that overnight. Um, and you know, and not no, you yeah, do it over a tweet. tweet. Ah, <laughs> so much that's that's right, gonna be right. the only one swear guys <laughs> yeah you know there's just so much money involved so much economic activity um yep. these things are way far far re- further reaching than people realize and with a, with a lot heavier impacts so you know maybe you know some some foul words are gonna put that whole thing in question but I don't see it going anywhere right away. Now, don't quote me on this because unpredictability is the, the name of the game right now. And, um, you know, I don't want to, you know, prognosticate up here, but I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm long on NAFTA right now. So I'll, I'll keep, uh, I'll keep betting on it. So, um, and, and being <laughs> here in Texas, right. That's easy for us to do given the amount of uh, trade that fuels here. Um, and, and giving, <laughs> Well, okay. So, so quick question on that: Does it, because of the NAFTA capability, doesn't that just feel like somewhat of a backdoor or a way of funneling money in a different way, uh, or or potentially even funneling money to it, Mexico? It could. It could. Um, you know, people talk about NAFTA backdoors all the time, right? And again, it's not where's value coming from here, right? Um, and in fact, mm-hmm. that is a key critical question that all of these trade agreements touch on when they talk about where something can be labeled as made in is where is the value being applied um, and what generates the most value in that product. So if we think for a second, right, you know, a, a television, right, that television has a display made in China. It has a plastic component made in Mexico. It has ICs that are made in U.S. or Taiwan or Korea or Japan, um, all running on IP that's generated and licensed primarily from American companies or Japanese companies or Taiwanese companies. And then some labor is being applied to it in Mexico. So when that thing then comes into America, where is all that value gone, right? We tend to assume the values and the, the final sale price of that. But that sale price represents a bunch of people getting paid in the process. And if we don't make that product mm-hmm. in Mexico, say, at a low price, we don't assemble it there, do we sell as many of those? Does the, the, does the chip manufacturer, the company that's licensed that IP on there, get as much money if we sell half as many TVs or a quarter as many TVs? These things are far more interconnected, and it's not this sort of, in my mind, it's not this black and white, whoever does the labor gets all the value, but there's a whole chain of subsidiary Mm -hmm. services that don't exist if you can't sell that product at a price the consumer can afford. So 
You sure. Know, do I think it's good for us? Do we maintain value? Is it you know the back door? The back door is really just just preferencing who does the cheapest part in that process. Um, and, and my thing is, look, you know, if having Mexico do the labor means that TI and Xilinx and all these other U.S. IP producers can sell more licenses, then it's probably a benefit to us in general. Um, it only becomes a problem if, like the issue with Made in China, right, that there's some, you know, some sense of IP being stolen and relicensed somewhere else, and now we're getting nothing out of that value chain. That's where we need to be worried. You know, you know I, I want to touch a bit more on Made in China in a little bit, mm -hmm. because I actually don't know a lot about it. And it sounds like the church bit. does. Um, but one more, <laughs> one more question for long-term impacts um, is... Uh, from the outside, this is actually from a uh, mm -hmm. one of our listeners on the Slack channel. Um, he says these tariffs encourage U.S. manufacturing of components to bring manufacturing back to U.S. From at least from an outside perspective, will mm -hmm. it? Is the question, and the prospect that come uh, like if these tariffs go into effect, and will this actually bring the new manufacturing? Because let's say in two or whatever years these tariffs go away, those new factories that got spun up to build new components now are at a yeah, price so disadvantage. There's two parts to that, really, right? Like, if we take a commodity item and we raise its price, if it comes from outside of the country, does that automatically make it worth producing here in the country? Um, I don't think these tariffs are structured in such a way presently to do that. Because when those components get too expensive here in the U.S., you just assemble the whole product somewhere else. Now you have no additional tariffs. You're back to your original 1.7%. <clears throat> and so really all it means is you're going to shift the final assembly of the product to somewhere else uh, if the tariffs stay the way they are. Um, overall, you know, you're looking at a couple years and a lot of money and capital investment to start building uh, say, for example, resistor fabs here, and that—that's my example. I use like let's build some thick film resistors. Okay, so the first what thing we have to understand is that. we're not going to use labor to do that, <laughs> um, you know, because the no. labor rates are too high in the U.S. So we're going to want a robotic resistor factory. When's the last time we built a resistor mm -hmm. factory here in the U.S.? I don't know the answer to that, but probably wow, it's a rhetorical question. Uh, <laughs> do you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you can buy USA made what I call yeah, yeah. So, resistors. You could buy handmade. Yeah, and it, there's there's actually a, a, some some resistor places in Houston, but they are very very small quantity and very right. niche and very special. So specialized. I just told you I got upset that I'm now having to pay ten cents a piece for a half a cent resistor or resistor that, or capacitor that was half a cent a year and a half ago, right? So how do I make them in the Correct. U.S. without them being 10 cents a piece, right? I need a fully automated factory. Well, if I haven't built a fully automated factory in the U.S. in years, that means I'm probably not building robots that automate that process here. And the other problem with these tariffs are they impact capital goods, i.e. machines to automate the building of things. And so robotics. we can't actually afford to right. build the factory here right now. 
So I don't see that happening. Yeah. Well, and 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 that actually that's something that that confused me from the the first time I heard about these tariffs is it, the 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 concept of implementing these tariffs such that we can I don't want to go too far into it but bring jobs yeah. home kind of thing uh but 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 that that kind of concept you take it take it or leave it if you like that or not we're not ready right now to spin up it's not like we have these fabs such that we could just increase capacity right now yeah, on our soil we don't have a fab yeah, that we yeah. can right yeah exactly exactly so it seems kind of odd it's confusing at that point so it just seems like a shift as opposed to like a a a rebuild yeah i mean there's nothing about the current tariffs going in that really enable us to start producing electronics components here in the u.s And, and in fact um with the with the tariffs on capital goods let's be honest a 25 percent tariff on a quarter cent resistor excuse me, doesn't have the same impact as a 25% tariff on a $4 million automated piece of production equipment, right? You know, that can shift the economics pretty far away from, uh, from actually making that a feasible thing to do. But I don't think the intent there, uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't see anything in the intent that says someone wanted us to build resistors here in the U.S. when they were structuring that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I see a lot of things that really impact more traditional uh, capital goods that we have produced here for a while. Like, think like, you know, can are are they putting up barriers to competition with Caterpillar? Yeah, that's definitely happening, right? Are they putting up uh, you know barriers to competitions with a Midwest producer of transformers? Absolutely, right. Well, actually, you know, um, go go look at the tariff list. Uh, in fact, we should we should put a link to that in the show notes. There's 1,300 line items, and if you kind of just dig through them, a lot of them are very broad sweeping. A lot of them are 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 wide terms, but but there's a handful in there that if you really pay attention to them, it's it seems like it's very targeted towards a very right. specific industry or a very specific even right, product right. within it's like, an industry. It's like, for example, they target automobiles. How how many automobiles do we actually import from China? Very few. <laughs> so, <clears throat> right. I actually can't think of a single brand from uh, China that we import here. Yes, NGMs. We import Fords from China. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, right? That the number one importer of Chinese cars into the U.S. is a U.S. company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a good one. Uh, look, look, I actually have the tariff list pulled up right now, and and this this one I think is really interesting. It's eight five zero one dot five one dot five zero. If you're so interested in actually going and checking it out, but but listen to the description here: AC motors multi-phase of an output exceeding seven hundred and thirty-five watts but under 746 <laughs> watts. So it, there's like this window, this very tiny window, and, and there must be some American manufacturer that has a, you know, some product that fits right in that window that is that has competition in China. Um, maybe, maybe. I think you're, you're probably right. I would say from a, from a guaranteed, you know, just law of averages, that's right. Um, I almost wonder if that comes from when they're originally taxing things, right? They come in and they say, AC motors, right? And they say, okay, that's great. You know, we're going to tax all AC motors coming in. 
And then someone says, but you know, I could make this really cool washing machine here in the U.S. if only my tax rates were lower on this AC motor. And they say, okay, well, we're going to split AC motors into three groups, and this one group we're going to lower the, the tariffs on. And then they keep doing that over and over and over again to preference, you know, some specific industry. And then when they come back right. and they do this, they're like, oh, crap. You know, there's 75 line items. Let's get them all. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, but that's it. Just, it just so, some of the line items seem like uh, like one of them was uh, sandblasting equipment. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that's it. It doesn't say anything specific. It just says sandblasting equipment. Whereas that other one is like very specific. <laughs> I'm glad I bought my Harbor Freight sandblaster last year. <laughs> <laughs> did it, yeah. Wait, wait. Did it cost? Oh, yeah. You had to, you bought it at Harbor Freight here in the U.S. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. It would have been twenty five percent more mm-hmm. this Friday. So it would have gone from a hundred to one hundred and twenty five. <laughs> Actually, it would have been probably like fifty dollars to like sixty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> really cheap. Right, right. Yeah. No. I mean, that's that's kind of the end of the world, there, Parker. I don't know if you could uh, you could keep that hobby going with those kind of price hikes. No. 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 <laughs> yeah, we need to have Harbor Freight on as a guest and see how it affects them. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. But there's, you know, I mean, there, there's some interesting stuff out there, right? Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this because, you know, I was looking, you know, if we, if we go back and we look at, like, just let's take Flex, for example, right? For those who are unaware, Flex has laid off 10% of their workforce in the past six months, uh, 3,800 mm-hmm. out of 38,000 people. Um, all of them in the U.S., they've been shutting down factories. What they were not shutting down, though, were high-mix, low-margin factories, or excuse me, uh, high-volume, low-margin factories. They were shutting down high-mix, high-margin factories. So, you know, we tend to think that traditionally here in the U.S., we produce a lot of high-value goods, and, you know, those low-value goods shift overseas, you know, it's interesting that they were taking a. It looks like they were taking a response to, you know, this impending idea of tariffs coming in. I'm not going to put ideas in their mind or anything, but if you if you look at what they were doing, um, we, we see a drop in telecom uh, production and datacom. So think like Cisco, uh, CISCIO, not as. Houston, non-Houstonians won't understand why I have to differentiate those two names. <laughs> yeah. Not lunch buffet right, right, right. places. Not, not, not stuff that's going into restaurants, uh, <laughs> stuff that's going into data centers. Uh, Cisco yeah, um, yeah, yeah. is a huge manufacturer here in the U.S. Um, a lot of your high-end computers, networking equipment, stuff like that will be made here in the U.S. because it's high margin. If you're buying mm-hmm. a $75,000, and that'd be a cheap one, I imagine, a middle-of-the-tier uh, switch from Cisco, they don't have $60,000 in bomb costs in there, right? So they can afford to spend more to have them manufactured here in the U.S., protect their IP, etc. But the weird thing is, is that's not the growth we're seeing at companies like Flex. Flex is looking at building Xboxes and uh, comp- you know laptops and computers and stuff, and they're reinvesting there, um, which is which I thought was kind of interesting, right? That the question is is whether they'll continue to go in that direction if tariffs stay the way they are, right? Hmm. You know, are they going to continue to pay a higher component cost and a higher labor cost to build them here unless those consumer goods, those in-product tariffs kick in? And so I think 
you know, anyone who looks at this says the betting person is betting on these tariffs being followed by either, you know, finished goods tariffs or the tariffs going away. Yeah, that's actually going to bring up is because right now consumer goods aren't in the tariffs, um, which are well finished consumer goods. Yeah, so like if they assemble the TV all in China and then ship the TV over, um, I I personally expect those to follow later this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to guess after September. After November. November. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it would be pretty bad if it was September. Yeah, sure. yeah. Um, that's where I'm going to guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think you're probably right. Um, you know, a, a betting person uh, would, would not take that bet against you there. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I certainly wouldn't. Um, but you never know. I mean, look, we li- we live in an uncertain time. It could happen tomorrow, for all we know. <laughs> you know, I think. If, if something does happen in November, we'll have to have another one of these podcasts. Right, right. We're talking about the new things that are in our industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so, look, uncertainty um, uncertainty is just bad in general. Um, I don't like it. I don't know anyone else in business who likes it. You know, when things get uncertain, you know, what do we do? We stop investing, right? You know, I... We're, we're like many other businesses, right? We, you know, we make investments in technology and equipment, etc. Uh, through, you know, people investing in us, either or through debt, etc. Well, all of those things become harder when no one can predict what the future is, right? All of this uncertainty, all of this. Well, are these tariffs going to come in? Are they not? Are prices going to go up? Are things going to go down? they're really just going to impact the flow of capital here in the U.S., right? People are going to be asking the question, should I be building a new factory? I don't know. I don't know where that's going to go, right? Should I develop this new product and then manufacture it here in the U.S.? Or should I make it in China? I really don't know. Why don't we sit back and wait a little while and see what happens? Um, You know, we saw that during the downturn, um, even as things started to pick back up, uh, you know, after the 2008 uh, crash, even as things started to pick back up, it took a long time for companies to start making major capital investments. Or oh, it took consumers a long time yeah, too. Yeah, well, they couldn't get. Well, most of our consumers, let's be honest, this is the U.S. They buy on credit right? and on debt. Yeah. They couldn't get that credit or that debt—not <laughs> in terms they could afford. Yeah, there was a lot of trust issues. <laughs> so, you know, but, but we saw, like, if we'll use the NPR term, durable goods purchasing went down. <laughs> <laughs> which is you know phrasing for you know companies found other ways to make money and what we found what we find during times of uncertainty is you see things like stock buybacks you see things like uh, big dividend payouts um, because companies don't aren't looking to make long-term investments they're looking to take advantage of the uncertainty in that market to to buy you know assets and capacity to borrow money in the future so you know i don't see um overall this being a good thing right now um i don't think uh, you know kind of go back to your question earlier right you know not just are we going to make resistors here but are people going to start moving manufacturing here i don't know that lots going to happen right now there's just too much uncertainty out there so mm-hmm. we're going to need to see much more certainty in the market before we, you know, can 
or in what international policy is going to be before we start seeing major moves by companies to you know shift all their production one place or another. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. going to see a lot of little individualized activities, i.e. Moog and Harley Davidson and all these guys. We're going to see that kind of in the short term. Uh, individual companies whose, whose economics have now gone out of whack, we're going to see that. But as a large general movement. Or have been out of whack. What's that? I said have been out of whack because you brought up Harley Davidson. Right, right. Well, that's, yeah, they have bigger problems, but <laughs> yes. you know, I, I don't think even the president can, can help them with their, their, their challenges. Um, I, I heard one of their biggest problems is that millennials just don't buy Harleys. They just don't think they're I don't cool. Think, I, I think it's actually just younger people just don't buy vehicles and then even less a percentage of people buy motorcycles. So you're just shrinking the market. Well, you know, I mean, let, let, let's look at the movies right, out right. there, right? Uh, how many movies have a young, cool hipster riding on a Harley? I can't even think of one actually driving cars either. So, so what you're telling us is that we need a Terminator 2 of our generation. Well, right? I was thinking more like Cool Hand Luke or something. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it's been a long time since it was since it was cool for a young kid to ride a, a young person to ride a Harley, right? So, yep. Sure. Yeah. How, yeah sure. how many of our parents own them? Right. You know, I'm in my 40s, and my you know, that's like the thing your parents do. Right. So, mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, but yeah. So. I mean, I mean, overall, we, we need to get a lot more certainty in the market. And what we're just going to see is more and more, you know, point in time, individual reactions to changes, um, but not a lot of huge market moves except to compensate for that uncertainty by saying, look, things are still good in Mexico. Let's move it there. Things are still good in Tunisia. Let's move it there. The EU, well, they've, they've got Eastern Europe. They can uh, produce at a low cost in. So... Yeah, I don't think they're that impacted. And plus, let's be honest, I don't think they're going to get into a trade war with China. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone wants to. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure there's any trade wars that are that, that this is not intended to create any of those. Right. Uh, <laughs> although I'm not. Uh, the thing is, I'm just confused. I'm not. I'm confused about the end goal of our government imposing these i'm just not sure because it, it just doesn't seem clear i have long since given up trying to make sense of that <laughs> i i just, am with you church it, it's 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 uh it's like watching a yodorowsky movie or something you just kind of have to enjoy it for the visuals or something right you know? <laughs> just go along with the ride yeah. <laughs> if you overthink it you're just going to get confused yep yeah well i that's certainly so we true. have one one last major topic, um, <laughs> and this is uh, was a pretty popular one in the Slack channel. Is will this hurt hobbyists slash makers? Because all you hear about in like on Hackaday <laughs> and other various sources like Make Magazine. Actually, I don't know if Make Magazine even reported on this yet, but <laughs> yeah, what do you think? Yeah, so you know, I like the guys at Hackaday. Uh, they're they're all great people. Um, I'm not sure it's as bad as they've, they've made it out to be. <laughs> you know, look, if, if you're sourcing your goods from Alibaba, China, say you're buying your 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 dev boards from AliExpress, yeah, you know, the the de, de minimis, right? That's that specific term from the you know from ICE. Uh, the de minimis for customs is eight hundred dollars. So if you're buying something worth less than $800, there are no tariffs on that. Um, then you look at like the next thousand on that or so. I think it's 
a flat 3%. And then over that, the normal uh, harmonized tariff codes kick in. So you have to think, if you're a maker and you're buying directly from overseas, you have to spend $1,800 in one order before these tariff rates start to impact you. Mm -hmm. Um, Where I think it becomes a challenge for the makers, the big issue there is around vendors who sell made in China boards. That is not final products, right? But development boards, et cetera, that they're having made in China shipped to the U.S. and then sold here because they're going to be bringing in thousands of dollars worth at a time, having to pay those 25% duties. Um, Those are the ones that are going to have a hard time covering that spread and they're going to have to increase their price or sell them from another country to the end user here in the U.S., uh, increasing their shipping costs, for example. But, you know, companies that make a lot of their goods in the U.S., like SparkFun, Adafruit, etc., they're going to have lower overall price increases. You know, it's going to vary. It's going to be similar to, like, that 2 to 10% yeah, that you yeah. said earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. you're mm-hmm. not going to see this blanket 25%, right? Um, and that's what everyone's losing their mind over. Right, right. And again, this is where I go back to that. Like, it's not all 25%. <laughs> if you're assembling right, it right. here in the U.S., right, you know, what's the makeup of your bill of materials, right? Is Actually, look at your country of origin. Right. On your parts. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's 25% of the cheapest stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Today. Except for except for connectors, right? And, right, you know, right. Fets. Right. Maybe, but it, I, I haven't even looked. Where are high-end fets made? I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to search right now. <laughs> one I know. Because I was thinking <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't Off the top of my head, I don't know. I want to do one that we use all the time in pinball. So. Right. Because we've got, you know, we've got a lot of customers that are in like the audio and DIY audio. You know, that's that's pretty big business for us. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of their costs are in these high end FETs and high end resistors and stuff. And I don't know. I don't know where those are made. Right. And, and discrete, discrete transistors. Yes. Discrete yeah. Transistors. yeah. 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 Right. Um, and I was looking at like audio board forums right and people are like oh my gosh my pedals are going to go up by 25 percent and so on and other people like no they're not yes they are and it's all this argument you know i believe in math right (laughs) i believe you can model anything and you know the exercise of modeling the price increase on your product is i think an exercise that every person should go through anyone who's produced sure absolutely yeah you know you know you kind of covered it earlier uh you know it, it all depends on what your end product is, of course, and what your bill of materials contains. But but a lot uh, a lot of the the audio kind of guys they 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 design their entire world around a unique characteristic of a particular IC, and a lot of the magic comes from the switches, the the connectors, and the passives that connect to that magic IC. Right. Therefore, they might potentially be more affected, even though it's still. 25% on the cheapest parts of their brain. Right, right. So that, yeah, you know, I mean, I think, but it gets difficult. I think that speaks to a larger issue, right? You know, how much value are you adding as a product maker? <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, right. You know, right, right. You know I, uh-huh. it's really hard. Most data sheets do not state the country of origin. Yeah. You've got to check with the uh, actual retailer. Yeah. But like Mauser, Mm-hmm. rarely has it on like yeah. if you go to the part it doesn't have it so you have to order the part and see right. what the package says <laughs> Did you see it? or yeah. contact the sales team i well, guess but I, but i want to kind of touch on that point because that's that's the thing that bothers me a lot when i talk to people you know i 
I talk to a lot of startups. Um, you know, I do programs here in Houston with some of the, um, uh, the, the, the different, you know, companies that are getting started out there and their founders and so forth. And the biggest problem I see is everyone says my product has to be cheaper than what's out there. And I think that's a, in a lot of ways, that's a distortion, right? Um, your product has to be cheaper when it really adds no value, right? <laughs> it at, at, well, at, at that point, its value would be just its price. Right, right. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing. Like, if you're giving people more value than they have today, why do you have to sell it for less than the things with less value? Right? I just never understood that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's yeah, easy. Absolutely. Sure, but, I mean, come on. You know, I've, I've created a product with four times as many features that I want to sell for half the price. Well, why not sell it for twice the price, right? If it's four times as good, it should be worth twice as much, right? So, and then pocket the right. the extra margin. Right. You know, and I think and I think going through your product, right, looking at how things like this impact your specific product and where value comes from and how much value you're adding to it really is a great exercise, right? If you if the only value in your product is a fairly non-unique connect connection of existing off-the-shelf components, you might want to look at that and say, how can I add more value to that, right? Because that means someone else can just come in and undercut you, right? And offer the same, same functionality. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I mean, take a right. look at uh, right. good example. I always use is Arduino <laughs> boards. Like you can buy one from that's made in Italy for $30, or you can buy one in China for, I think the cheapest I've seen is like $4 in some odd sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Right. And to be clear, their, their value is in a community. Correct. Right, not in the board itself, right? Correct. So, mm-hmm. and many users can get that value without ever having bought a board from them. I know I've, I've bought some plenty of clones in my day. So. <laughs> I know some people yeah. who've never bought an official Arduino board. You know, we little story here. Parker and I used to be one of the biggest consumers of Arduino. The was which which model? Duo Mobile or whatever the, was the, the Dewey, it was one before the Uno. Duino, yeah, or the Duino. This is the old one. Doemillanova. Whatever you have pronounced it. I always called it the Dewey. Yeah, that's it. But then they made a Dewey. They they kept manufacturing (laughs) those for us for like two years after they were discontinued. Yep. Because we we bought like something like, what, 3,000 a year, 4,000 a year of those? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, because it was because the big problem was the Uno, which would worked in the product, uses that AT Mega Eight mm-hmm. for the USB bridge, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we didn't want that. <laughs> we wanted the FT two three two RL that was on the old board. Right, right, because it, it yeah. worked with native drivers. Correct. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um, right, right. Yeah, don't ever base a product on <laughs> someone else's dev board. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> We eventually redesigned it, but it was interesting. We had a lot of fallout on those too. I remember we used to go to TXRX and we take them like a whole box of broken Arduinos, box of them, oh things God, that failed yeah. tests. You know, it'd be like four hundred in so there. Many. Here you go, have fun, harvest parts, yeah. enjoy it. Oh, they must have loved that. They actually did. I'm like, uh, yeah. you guys got to be massive. TXRX is, yeah, TXRX is the local Houston makerspace. Yep. Second largest in the country? Yeah, I think Something the like that? New York one's the largest, and then that's the second largest. Well, wait, largest yeah. by what measure? Square footage. Oh, I think I, I think, think it's largest by square yeah, feet. Yeah, TXRX is largest by square feet. They just got another yeah. thirty thousand square foot building. 
Yeah. Oh, like did they really? Three or four of those now? So, someone told me they had uh, they had hired interns from TXRX, and I'm like, wait, you mean you convinced people who were taking a class there to work for you? They have interns? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna they're gonna start offering degrees right, here right, soon. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so okay, one more question. Um, and this is more like a general newsy kind of thing. Um, so here in the states, we only see and hear about the ramifications on this tariff that have that are on the U.S. and China. But you know, I think we're not the only two countries in this world. Um, <laughs> So what other players are going to be affected by this? And the example that I have here is if you're in Canada, Canada doesn't have a lot of distributors for electronic parts, so you normally buy from DigiKey or Mauser. Will those consumers or those parts be hit by these tariffs as well? Yes, because DigiKey and Mauser pay the tariffs first. So, right. so it's not a... Yeah, you're right, you're right. It's, there's it's no, not an um, end destination. It's not a VAT. Right, right, right. So, well... It's kind of like a VAT in some ways, right? VAT taxes are taxes, right? Yep. A tariff is a number, another word for a tax, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Value-added tax, like in Europe, you pay it at import if you're bringing in product from outside of the uh, the EU. EC. Um, well, not the EU. It's like the economic zone okay. in there, right? It's bigger than the EU. Um, includes things like Tunisia and uh not other non-EU countries like Austria, etc. So. Convenient places that manufacture things. Wait, it's not Austria, is it? It's the other one, Switzerland. I'm sorry, that's not a not an EU country. Um, they they have an economic zone, but I mean, a tax is a tax, right? So a tariff is a tax on import, and um, you know, DigiKey and Mouser are going to pay those taxes on import, and if they sell to someone in Canada. They're going to pass that cost on. And then, of course, Canada has their own taxes on import. So mm-hmm. you're going to get hit a couple times on that. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, in, in general, you know, I, I love Canada. They're a great place. They're basically like a state of the U.S. <laughs> when we think about the like, overall <laughs> market size. And, you know, don't tell them I, I said that because, you know, that, that, could, that could go poorly <laughs> right now. Um, you know, anyone from Canada? I love you guys. Y'all are a great independent nation. (laughs) (laughs) uh, In the top 10 listeners. Okay. So So. absolutely. I support you guys. Go Canada. (laughs) Yeah. Hockey is, is one of the greatest sports ever. I am taking Canada off Canada day off with you. Um, (laughs) So cuckoo's nest. Let's do it. Right. What is that by the way? What's that? What is that? It's a holiday. Win. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have called him out on that. Yeah, July first. Oh, it was, it was July two 1st? days ago. It, it was two days ago. <laughs> but let, let's be honest, our tariffs are not really going to impact a lot of other countries. What are going to you know our tariffs between China and us, right? You know, they're going to impact the cost of some goods, right? They're going to change where we're manufacturing stuff, where we're buying stuff from. Uh, what more impacts those other countries are our tariffs against them. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, and that's the way they're designed to work. Yeah. And I, and I'm going to say us having these tariffs with China, uh, probably do nothing but help them 
because they're going to go out and they're going to strike their own trade deals, right? We're not working with them anymore. We're now working against them. So they're going to go out and strike their own deals. Um, in the short term, it'll probably be better for those countries. Um, I think in the long term, it'll be worse for everybody uh, because, you know, if, if we have one player in the game, who we feel is, and this is my personal opinion, right? Not the companies or anything like that, but you know, if we have one player in the game who we feel is not playing by the same rules as everyone else, the best thing to do is for us all to work together to coerce them into playing by the rules. But if we start fighting with each other, um, aren't they just going to do more of that? Right? Aren't they going to take advantage of that chaos <laughs> to? you know, create new conditions for their own success. So that, that's what I worry about there. But, you know, um, hmm. at the end of the day, short-term impact is probably not going to be that great on anybody. It's the question of, you know, what it does to trade in the overall world order over the next decade or so, which is much harder to predict. So Steven, you got any more questions about tariffs? Because I have another random question at the end here. I think that that we covered a lot of territory there, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot more to unpack, but I think we're just going to have to watch it unfold and kind of see how it goes. Exactly, yeah. So, eating pizza with a knife and fork, as crazy as it sounds. Okay, so my rule is, if I pick up the piece of pizza and it's so floppy that all of my toppings fall off, I have to eat the first half of that piece of pizza with a knife and a fork. you got to fold the pizza. Yeah, I don't. I don't like starting out with a fold. You know, I'm just. You, you know, the thing is, I think at that point the the issue is that uh, the pizza was too thin to begin with, or too greasy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. So if, I got it. So if you have to fold the pizza, it's not a pizza. It's just a t pizza taco. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, my my rule is I will cut the pizza until it is self sustaining when I pick it up. <laughs> self sustaining. So I, I, I'm a pizza folder. So, or, or I turn pizzas into tacos. Um, and I use a knife and fork to want to eat the deep dish. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's called a pie, and you don't eat pie with your fingers. You might not. Yeah. <laughs> Heck, man. You, you get me into that good pecan pie, man. I might be just, uh, just digging in there. Oh. Oh, pecan pie's wanna, game over. I want to ask Steven is do, do, do they have pecan pies in Colorado? Uh, you know, I, I'm not a huge pie connoisseur, so I'm not like looking at where pies are everywhere around here. The, the thing, here, here's one thing that I can tell you. Uh, I mean, I've only been here for a, a little over a month now and, um, the word spicy means something completely different here than it does at home. And, and I've gotten to the point that if I order something and I sit and I order a spicy meal, I look the person in the eye and it's like, make it spicy. Like... When you think you've made it spicy, go like two x, and then we'll be all right. You know, like, does spicy there sorry. mean they're going to add some black pepper to it, or? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, you know what's you know what's funny is green chilies are a real uh, big thing here, and that's that's a northern uh, uh, New Mexico thing. Uh, they have like green chili fest. So spicy, a lot of times, just means they added green chilies. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they put something like Texas spicy, and that's what I'm looking for. I want a, like I want a spicy burger. All, all your cayenne pepper. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, I don't think you heard me. I said bring all of your cayenne pepper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Like, you don't think about it here in Houston. Like, spicy is 
potentially dangerous here because you don't just have to worry about like <laughs> Mexican spicy. You've got Thai spicy. You've got Zichuan spicy, and they all mean something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they can all kick your butt, and I like that. And like here, when you ask for something spicy, someone looks at you kind of sideways. They're trying to measure you up, <laughs> and then you have to like specify what spicy you mean. But like there, like just mean <laughs> yeah, any yeah. spicy. Give me, give me some flavor, some heat. Yeah, no, and and seriously, like I, I I tried to order something spicy the other day, and 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 a lady like had to think about it for a while, and she was like, "I guess I could chop up some jalapenos and give them to you." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> sure." Ah, <laughs> uh, so with that spicy ending of this podcast, you want to sign us out, Church? Absolutely. So this was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I was your guest, Chris Church. And we were your hosts, Parker Dolman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Good night. Thank you, yes, you are a listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or tariff you want Stephen and I to discuss, tweet us at Macrofab or email us at podcast at macrofab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel where we have continuing discussions about the podcast if you're not subscribed to the podcast yet click that subscribe button that way you get the latest map episode right when it releases and please review us wherever you listen as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us